Hi everyone, this is just a quick intro to today's pod. I'm here with my three amigos as always. How are we doing, boys? Not too bad, good, thanks, mate. Good, How are you doing? Good, thank you, buddy. Good, good, good to see everyone's here, all present and correct. So this is just a quick intro for our pod for today, which we actually recorded back in November 2020, did we? Way back when. Way back when. So yeah, we'll we'll crack on with it, but just to give you the context of when it was recorded. And we've got an awesome guest for this one. And as we explained in the pod, it was recorded on behalf of Yres as part of their skills uh, month. So shall we crack on, lads? See what it sounds like? Roll the titles. Roll the pod. Roll the pod. <laughs> Roll the pod. Do we have a jingle for that? No, maybe uh, we should make one for next time. Darren, do one now. <laughs> no, you got me on this last time. It's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> Is it my, oh, it's my it's your turn, yeah. This should okay. lead straight into our uh, our fancy intro jingle anyway, so uh, we can just go roll the pod. There we go. The following podcast contains beer, banter, and absolutely no legal advice from four family lawyers speaking in a personal capacity. Any views expressed are our own and not those of our employers or chambers. Any legal commentary is for your amusement only. Always seek specialist legal advice. Okay, welcome everyone to this extra special episode of the Without Prejudice podcast. It is extra special today because of two reasons. Firstly, this podcast has been commissioned or requested by Resolution and specifically the Wires element of Resolution um, because it's going to form part of what has been um, a sort of push by Wires on skills for junior practitioners. So this podcast should be available as part of the Wires skills portal um, that people will be able to access um, as and when needed moving forward. So we're really pleased um, that Resolution reached out and asked us to be involved. Secondly, it's an extra special episode because of our extra special guest, who this week is Gillian Bishop from Family Law in Partnership um, AKA Flip, which I think is a perfect acronym. And um, so Gillian needs no introduction and is well known to the family law community. Having done more than her stint as a leading family lawyer, she's now a consultant at Flip and more recently has turned her attention and focus to the ever present issue of well being in family law. Flip have always been a leading light in developing the way family law teams operate, and Gillian has spearheaded this. So we are super happy. That she's been able to join us on that topic. I'm super happy to be here. Yeah, Brilliant. thank you for joining us, Julian. <laughs> Welcome. So the topic this week for our discussion is supervision. Um, and when we talk about supervision, we're talking specifically in the context of well-being and the emotional impact of being family lawyers um, and how it impacts on our ability to do our jobs. So that's really what we're going to try and chat about for the next half an hour. Um, alongside myself, Sean Hilton from Stevens and Bolton, and of course, Gillian, we've got the usual, uh, my three musketeers with me, Darren Hart from Vitling and Kay, Dan Chalmers from Clinton's, and Mark Samuels, who is a barrister at 36 Group. Hello, lads. Hi, Sean. Hello. Hello, hello. Well, let's crack on, shall we, without further ado. So I don't know who wants to kick off. Well, I think one of the things that I, I mean, I, Gillian, um, 
read with great interest the Family Law Hour threads um, which you hosted this week. And one of the things that I was turning over in my mind as a barrister was what supervision may mean for the sole practitioner as distinct from an offering in a law firm because it would mean different things and there are different capabilities, different capacities. Um, uh, I just wondered what your thoughts are on that. Well, it's certainly possible as a barrister to have supervision in pretty much the same way as a solicitor would have it. In fact, um, I've had a barrister as a supervisee uh, and they found it really, really helpful um, to talk about all sorts of issues, even down to, you know, having to manage their diaries in a way that didn't mean that they were working, you know, 24-7, seven days a week. So to the point of enabling that barrister to make sure that he'd put in some holidays for himself, that he uh, didn't go out every single night after court when we still had <laughs> nights out after court. I mean, if you can remember that far back. Um, and also to talk about issues like, should he apply to move to a different room in his set of chambers because of the kind of laddish culture, dare I say it, uh, that was pervading in the room that he was in at the time. Um, as well as the kind of, you know, the vicarious trauma that uh, all us lawyers doing family law will suffer to a greater or lesser extent by the sheer fact of the work that we do, mm. where we are dealing with other people's misery on a constant basis. And I think those people who think that they're not affected uh, by that um, are living in la-la land, frankly, because we have to be kind of almost inhuman not to be affected by that to some degree. So yes, supervision well, it's, it's is the illusion of the stiff upper lip, I suppose. Well, it is. But of course, you know, as with a lot of these things, that only gets you so far. Uh, and, you know, there's always that fear that somehow if you need help or you think you need help, that that's actually a sign of weakness when in truth it's the opposite. The people who say, no, I need supervision, you know, this is this makes perfect sense to me, aren't showing weakness. They're showing a real understanding of the situation they're in and uh, displaying a real strength. So, you know, we don't need to do stiff upper lip. We certainly not in these days where we're all working in a very different way from from normal. We haven't got our colleagues around us that we can, you know, chip in and say, you know, you look a bit down, are you all right? I mean, we don't even have that. We just have our Zooms, you know, our laptops and our, and our cameras, and we're having to deal with what's already a difficult job in just 10 times more difficult circumstances. Maybe there is need for the bar to have more acknowledgement of that side of things um, and to take more time out to process what can be a difficult case or a difficult week. Um, and I think something else doesn't get talked about a lot with counsel is that tension with the clerks and that idea of, you know, if you're turning work away, it's, it's having a direct impact on your income stream. And obviously Chambers is keen to keep working in the diary versus, as you say, Julian, the need occasionally to actually have a holiday. Mm. Um, that must be, obviously Mark's, can chip in on that it must be something that's really difficult to manage it possibly affects them sorry mark even more because um you know they're picking up and getting rid of cases getting rid picking up and you know dealing with cases far more often but there's far more of them 
So they're seeing far more cases than we see as solicitors. We will have a set caseload and all right, we deal with it from start to finish and we'll get on to you know, how it affects us. But the barristers are dealing with so many more cases. Their volume is much, much higher. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry, Mark, I interrupted. No, I think the, the point that you made, Sean, about the pressure of to accept work, shall we say, and to continually take on, it's, it's only been heightened in the past year, given the economic upturn, downturns, you know, I, I suspect a lot of people now would think very, very carefully before they decide I need X amount of time off as holiday, um, particularly if taking that time off is the double whammy of, you know, not only you expending money, but you're also not earning it. But that, of course, is, I would say, a false investment because people need rest. They need to be able to recover in order to do this job. But it's that that kind of financial imperative is not just true of the bar. It's true in law firms also and fee earners and, you know, saying no to work, not working those additional hours, etc. It's a pressure that we're all under. Absolutely. And in different ways, because, you know, solicitors may get paid when they go on holiday, but they also have pressures of, you know, time recording and billing and all those sorts of things, which may make them work harder and harder. Um, I mean, I was talking to um, Cyrus, uh, who's the chair of uh, FLBA, uh, just last week, and he was telling me about some junior barristers working with him, who he witnessed hyperventilating with the stress, the additional stress that this um, pandemic has added to their workload, because all their cases disappeared sort of, you know, before they kind of got going with online and the longer cases were pushed back. But of course, the daily cases, you know, the stuff that comes in all the time is still coming in now. Uh, And so everybody is working ridiculously long hours. And it's very tempting to do that because we feel we're doing a good job. This is what we're meant to do. Here are these poor people in a terrible situation. They've come to us for our expertise, our advice, our help. Uh, that's what we've got to do without thinking that if we're not actually looking after ourselves, then how can we look after them? I mean, it's it's the old, I mean, I use an, it's an analogy I use a lot of the oxygen mask on the aeroplane. You're told to put yours on first before you help other people. And the reason is that if you're gasping for breath, you can't help somebody else who's breathless. So we need to absolutely look after ourselves if we're to begin to be able to look after our clients and their families and so it's a false idea that working you know 24 7 is the right answer it's absolutely not because not only does it do huge damage to us but it doesn't actually help our clients who we're here to help yeah i really like that analogy yeah, it's clever. We I've never heard that. Of, I really like that. Yeah, we talked a lot in previous episodes, boys, didn't we, about when the lock, first lockdown kicked in and sort of establishing that balance uh, between work and life, where the lines are so blurred when work is in the bedroom upstairs and you're sort of, it's so tempting to just dip in and out of emails and you can find yourself still sat at the computer at 9.30, 10 o'clock at night dealing with stuff and finding that balance And I suppose that's just been heightened with everything that's gone on. And it's a lesson that we need to learn and take back with us when we do get back to practicing in perhaps a more traditional way. If I say that, you know, a bit more time in the office, it's a lesson to take back with us and learn from in that, you know, you can't burn the candle at both ends. And as you say, Julian, like we can't help our clients if 
we ourselves are struggling. I wonder what you think, Gillian, is, is the role of sort of that law firms are talking to you about solicitors or chambers with barristers can play in sort of being a bit more interventionist in ensuring that solicitors or barristers are sort of prioritising that as part of their practice? Well, I mean, one of the good things to come out of COVID, and I think there are one or two, even if they're not all immediately obvious, but one of the good things is that it's really brought mental health and well-being in the profession right up to the top of the agenda. Everybody's talking about it now. Our president is talking about it. You know, there has been a, a huge amount talked about it. We've got the law care survey, which I would encourage you all to fill in if you haven't. And similarly, the resolution survey about well-being in the, in the workplace. These are all going to lead into uh, looking at a, at a profession-wide way of making this not just a hot topic for 2020, but a, but a lasting topic. So I'm very hopeful that if, every, if enough people fill in these surveys, that there'll be enough information for our regulatory bodies to say, OK, guys, we need to do something about this. It's not talked about because it doesn't suit people to talk about it. There's always a thing about the cost of providing uh, for uh, well-being type uh, resources but nobody looks at the cost of not providing them, which in my view is easily 10 times, if not more than that, greater than the cost of the provision. Because if you've got people who are taking time off sick because they're so stressed, you know, I, I know somebody I uh, supervised who had to, who was off work for something like three or four months. Mm. Well, he was getting paid, but his firm wasn't making any money out of him being off sick for three or four months whereas paying me uh, or somebody like me to supervise him may have kept him working those three or four months and so you know the, the cost benefit analysis is 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 obvious I mean my personal view is that well-being provision should be mandatory it's mandatory in other uh, professions so psychotherapists, counsellors, social workers all have supervision and we're dealing with exactly the same clients often at the same time and we're quite often in the front line. Uh, we, you know direct access barristers and solicitors will often be the first person that the client has contacted. They may then subsequently need to involve other professionals but we are quite often in the front line and yet nobody thinks to themselves, well, shouldn't we have supervision? Shouldn't we have a reflective space to find out what's going on for us in the work that we're doing? I mean, I could talk about this for hours, as you probably realise. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you ask me another question and then... <laughs> well, I think, Gillian, given that this podcast is particularly going to Wires and we're contemplating young practitioners, junior practitioners, um, really taking up some of the methods of supervision that you've spoken about previously. And also I've read your, your article recently about this, but my question is how do we encourage junior practitioners to not only become interested, but take up the opportunities that their law firms are offering? Because there may be hesitancy, particularly on the part of really junior practitioners, because as you said, um, some might interpret it as, 
you know, an admission of incapability or something along those lines. So what do we need to do to encourage uptake? Um, well, personally, I find that the, the junior lawyers absolutely get this stuff. I mean, they really do. They almost don't need to have it explained to them at all. The problem, it seems to me, is the provision of it, because if it's provided, I don't think there'd be any hesitancy in junior lawyers taking it up if they thought, gosh, oh, my boss, my firm cares enough about me to provide this for me. They must think it's important and therefore they must encourage it. Why wouldn't I at least try it to see whether it was something that, you know, did work for me? I think the problem is making sure that it's provided in the first place. And there are, you know, there are all sorts of firms who are doing things, some of which is a kind of more formal supervision, Other is others is a kind of, if there's a real crisis, there's counselling available for six weeks or six sessions. Um, some, you know, provide gym membership. I'm not sure that really goes far enough. Others have a kind of internal group supervision or a mentoring scheme or whatever. So there are firms out there doing it, but really the firms that aren't doing it those junior lawyers in those firms or those chambers, then they need to look elsewhere for the support that they need, or they need to gather together in their firms and en masse make a petition to their bosses to say, we need this stuff. What are you doing about well-being? What are you doing about our well-being? I don't see the problem as being take up from junior lawyers. Yeah, I mean, for, for risks of... Uh us being made redundant, you know, by our managing partners <laughs> slash heads of chambers. We're all quite lucky in that we've got very supportive firms. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. And I think what we said actually, and part of the reason, as we've discussed before in this, us starting this, was nothing more than us creating our own little supervision bubble um mm. to use the over overcoin term at the moment you know that was that was really the purpose of this was to mm -hmm. just band together and talk about how we were dealing with everything and how we were processing it and how we were managing you know difficult clients and what was working for us and what wasn't there's no reason why for example why res as a sort of institution um i know that there's been lots of discussion discussions within Yres about how programs can be set up to provide supervision and support and I think it's important to recognize as well that a lot of the time supervision by your peers is as valuable as supervision yeah. by someone who's either professionally trained to provide it or someone who's a bit more senior and can has sort of been there and, and done it because I certainly find that I have been approached by peers who wanted to talk about things they were finding difficult who might not feel comfortable reaching out to someone more senior or going to something formal, maybe as, as we've said, because of the concept that that might be seen as them admitting some form of weakness um, or whatever their reasoning might be. And sometimes it's really valuable to have that support network in place. And that's obviously something we're lacking at the moment um, more so than ever. I think that's a good point there, Sean. It's important that they know that even if there isn't any formal um, processes or anything set up in their own firm and I, I think there will be to some extent but if or if they're not comfortable using those there are resources out there um, particularly with Wires, you know yourself being the, the chair of Wires, you could come and speak to any committee member and actually it's that you know even that well-being being on the Surrey Wires committee for a period of time that becomes quite a close group 
and actually you can use each other as forms of uh, you know supervision and well-being and mentoring and all that and sort of stuff um, so it's important that they know I think at the junior end I think Gillian's quite right there's no shortage of uptake and they're, they're well aware but it's where the resources are as long as they're flag post and they're signpost and flag then um, I think that's really important. We should I mention Lord Care thing, and say that as well. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Just, just to, to say, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And one of the best things about resolution, certainly when I first became a member 100 years ago, was that uh, camaraderie, the ability to make really good and long-lasting relationships and friendships amongst other family lawyers. I mean, it's tremendous. It's been absolutely tremendous for that. And undoubtedly, we can all support each other and, you know, and if we can let down our, you know, resistance to sharing our feelings about something with somebody in another firm or in our own firm, then that is good. What I think the formal supervision does, though, which peer supervision or, you know, going out with your mates perhaps doesn't do, is really explore what's going on in the client relationship. Because I often feel um, that lawyers sometimes forget that they're human beings too you know we're lawyers we're a different breed you know it doesn't touch us in the way that it touches other people every relationship we have with our client with the other lawyer with all the other professionals we come across with our colleagues they're all human relationships and they all have the dynamics of any other relationship including the relationship between the the client and their soon-to-be ex-spouse and so you see it in correspondence. You see where a lawyer has got so bought into their client's story that the correspondence becomes as if that client is writing the letter. You know, your client did A, B and C. Well, how would you know you weren't there? You know, undoubtedly the marriage broke down because your client's behaviour. Well, how do you know you weren't there? What that's showing is, is that the lawyer writing those letters has crossed a boundary <laughs> has got sucked into the story of their client's life and made it their own. Now that may be all sorts of reasons why that has occurred. It may be because the client is particularly demanding, says, I want you to write this letter. It may be because the client reminds them of something in their past where that sort of thing had happened to them. There can be all sorts of reasons why a lawyer might write that sort of letter, for example. And I think that really having a chance to explore what's going on in that relationship, to practice techniques of speaking to a client or writing to a client or whatever, or to the other lawyer, to get them to engage in what's actually going on is a much deeper supervision. And that's the sort of supervision that I'm... Um, talking about when I talk about family law supervision that's not to say that there aren't other very good and certainly better than nothing options out there but the ones where you can really dig deep and then practice doing the things that you've learned maybe if you ask the question in this way or maybe if you said to the client you know I'm finding this quite troubling or I'm sorry I'm not the I, I can do this for you but I can't do that for you being much more clear about where the boundaries are what your role is actually clients really respond well to that stuff and it's yeah. not just with clients it's also with you know other other lawyers I mean the times that 
I've tried to pick up the phone to a lawyer and never have my phone call returned. Well, what's that about? You know, isn't that the best way to communicate? So I think that there's lots of really sort of deep down stuff that one can explore about the dynamics of relationship and our part in it that you can really get into in a in a more formal supervision setting. That's some deep stuff there, Julian. Yeah. Cool. I'm just going to have a drink now. <laughs> That's absolutely <laughs> wine, It's not even gin. I mean, I know. I've been <laughs> doing sober October, so this is my apple juice. I know it's November, but whatever. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, that's that's amazing. I think um, I hope as that the part you know this conversation will help spur things on further. As you say, it's well-being's been at the absolute forefront of things this year specifically. I said I know I know being on the National Wireless Committee that it's something that we've been talking about a lot. You know, people listening to this will obviously have found this through the the resolution portal. So we're almost preaching to the converted in that respect. Mm. But hopefully, it will give people the perhaps a nudge to either reach out if they feel that they need some supervision and it would it would be beneficial for them which clearly it would be um, but maybe also as you said Julian to sort of band together and approach their firms if they're not already providing this support and um, to put something in place I mean we've talked a lot haven't we boys as well about uh, we find that there is a distinction between firms who have things in place that they say is something that's supporting staff and then actually it actually being supportive um, and we talked about the fact that sometimes the way that traditional firms measure solicitors in terms of as you said time recording and billing etc doesn't fit in with what they're openly communicating as a message about promoting well-being actually had um, a, an employment solicitor on called Jodie Hill who very much is focused around um, campaigning for well-being and mental health um, for lawyers and within the workplace generally and she was talking a lot about, you know, this idea of a confidential phone line that firms set up that require you to contact HR to ask for the number to call and get your sixth session. Well, that in itself is a barrier to reaching out for supervision. So those things need to change. And maybe, yeah. again, another silver lining from lockdown and the way that firms are having to change the way that we all practice is that those, some of those traditional models and methods will be broken down or adapted and that might open the door for well-being to take more of a, a place in things. I hope so. I mean this is you know obviously we're all um, nobody's particularly enjoying um, the times we're living through at the moment but this is a very good moment for our sector mm -hmm. all different parts of it to actually pause and in some ways have a form of audit to how we conduct our business. I mean, this is a terrific moment for firms to, in some ways, restructure this kind of provision if they have it already. And if not, it's a great moment to introduce. So silver linings. A hundred percent, because, you know, uh, certainly when we're talking about firms of solicitors, the fee earners are their biggest asset. Totally, totally if didn't have them, they'd be, have no work. They'd have no money. So we kind of why would we not want to nurture them support them provide for them when without them we've got no purpose 
Some people should all just go and work at Flick. What do you reckon? <laughs> yeah. Well, the office is empty at the moment, so there's three new solicitors and an in-house council. Yeah. Are you looking for four guys below forty that can uh, come? Actually, and help we, you? we we genuinely are. No. <laughs> right. Not, don't share that information. Bl- blatant recruiting. Yeah. We're going to have to cancel the pod now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, look, Julian, we've kept you long enough and you've obviously um, let you get back to your evening. But before you go, we always ask our guests some quick fire questions. Oh, gosh. OK. To, get to know you so that, you know, don't worry, nothing too shocking. Um, first one, favourite drink? Uh, rosé. Any particular or type gin. of rosé? Gin. <laughs> yeah. Julian, um, my two favourite drinks, you know, yes. you're, you're rose, a lady after my own heart. Rosé during the summer, <laughs> gin the rest of the year. Um, especially, um, I would say, uh, there's a lovely gin made by the London gin company called Christopher Wren, um, which has got orange notes in it. It's absolutely delicious. There we go. Um, Favourite superhero? Jürgen Klopp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gillian, we were going to be friends. Yeah, you've lost me there. <laughs> <laughs> I, shall, uh, I shall just show you my champion's wall mug that Very I got good. this season. <laughs> Perfect. How do you like your steak cooked? Uh, rare. Yes. Hmm? Everyone says that. We haven't yet had someone who's gone, I'm a vegan or I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> that would be or, an awkward one. Or well done, yeah. Um, next one, who um, has influenced, influenced you the most, either professionally or personally? And you can't say him. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did meet him. Um, oh, wow. Anyway, that's another story. Another another podcast. Uh, who's yeah. influenced me the most? I think the guy that I sat with when I was a trainee solicitor back in the mists of time, who taught me that if I got emotionally involved with my clients, I would stop being able to um, act for them effectively. And he taught me all about boundaries and the importance of them. And it didn't mean that you didn't have to care. It just meant that you were very clear about what was you and what was your client. And I've never looked back. So thank you, David, or Big Dave, as I uh, now still call him. We're still (laughs) friends after all these years. Uh, He really influenced my career. What excellent supervision and so relevant to everything we've discussed right there at uh, at the beginning. Yeah. I hope my trainees say that about me. (laughs) Oh, no, they won't, Dan. They They definitely won't. Uh, Gillian knows one of my past trainees very well. I certainly do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Final quick fire question. What has been your guilty lockdown pleasure? Oh, discovering that Majestic do deliveries. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and sell gin, I imagine, as well. Wonderful. <laughs> and you know, I, I heard, um, I was chatting to council the other day, I won't name them, um, who said that Pret do deliveries. And when he's uh, doing online or telephone court hearings, he'll often order himself a prep for lunchtime because he feels like he's at the CFC. Yeah. I didn't know they did that. I was really impressed. I thought, oh, why am I get involved in that? Does he get his partner to like make him drink out of the water bottle before he goes back in for the afternoon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, t- test, test his tea at the door, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Gets in a lift that barely works. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Brilliant. Well, a final bit of our project is always to name the pod. Um, and as I did the introductions this week, I get to do the name for the pod. 
Um, so I think that the pod um, this time is going to be called Lawyers Are Human Too. Because I thought Very that good was name. something that you said that I thought struck a chord. You know, mm -hmm. Lawyers Are Human Too. All that remains is for us to say a big thank you firstly to Resolution for reaching out and asking us mm -hmm. to put this together. And an even bigger thank you to Gillian for taking time out to come and chat with us and talk about what is such an important topic. And to anyone listening who has listened to this and thinks that they'd like to learn a bit more, there are resources out there on the Resolution website. Obviously, speak to people within your own firms, reach out to law care if you need some support. Don't suffer in silence and do reach out and, you know, we can all help each other. Um, and that doesn't have to just be now in difficult times. It can be in good times as well. Just always reach out and there's always someone there to have a chat to. And if your firms want to talk about supervision, I'm very happy to come and talk to your bosses about it and why it works and why it's valuable. You can have the Oracle come directly to you. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that sums sums everything up. Thank you so much, everyone. Again, thank you, Gillian. Thanks, yeah, thanks, Gillian. Thank you, Gillian. It's been a real pleasure. It's been great fun. Thank you, guys. We'll we'll speak soon. Thank you. Cheers, to Cheers, all guys. You. Cheers to you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. So there we go, everyone. That was our awesome pod with Gillian. Isn't she awesome? Very good. I really enjoyed that. Really, really enjoyed it. She's a, a cool a cool girl, a lovely lady as well. Yeah, she's the Oracle and stuff like that, isn't she? And as we said at the very beginning, um, we recorded that back in November. So a lot of water has passed under a lot of bridges since then. But weirdly, what we talked about seems more relevant than ever at the moment. Mm. Uh, us currently now being in, I don't know how many months, weeks we are into lockdown three but I think everyone would probably say that it's been a really tough one. Um, and maybe we've all... Probably tougher than the previous ones, right? I mean, I have you guys found this, that? Yeah. And we've all probably had more need to reach out for a bit of support and supervision when things have got difficult, either emotionally or practically in terms of our workloads and managing clients and stuff like that. Um, I think everyone's got a bit of cabin fever again, haven't they? It's that, and it's also, I think, the weather. I mean, at the point where we're recording this, there's a lot of snow in the country, etc. It's all a bit, just a bit gloomy, which I think isn't helping. It doesn't help, does it now? Absolutely not. The snow's cool. It's like, a, you know, we get it a bit every year. I like it. But, um, yeah, it's not the first lockdown, which I think one was a novelty for everyone. It was all a bit new and weird and fun. Even if you didn't want to do it, it was a bit, you had to. And we had the summer, so you could... Yeah. Go garden or go out for a nice walk in the sun in shorts and t-shirt and you can't do that now it's um yeah very very different i i think personally this one's been the hardest this lockdown three is uh i, I don't want any more lockdowns no no i think i and i know all of you have uh really adhered to this like we've all just you know this keeps us sane this sort of thing but we've all really stuck to it um and said no we, you know we want to stick by the rules but i think this has been the hardest one by a mile Definitely, definitely. Anyone, how, how are people keeping busy? Try to find some new things to do to stop you going absolutely crazy. I know for a fact that, like, so Caroline's just bought a sewing machine. Um, so she's decided now that she's going to become the next, you know, sewing goddess. I was going to um, say, were you about to name a sewing person that's famous? Because I was waiting. <laughs> you know, well, you there's, the, there's that Bake Off style show, The Sewing Bee, which really? I've, I've seen it. No, I mean, it's quite not. good. 
There is. <laughs> but there's also um, there's a pottery version of it now, and I can't let myself watch any of those things because if I watch more than thirty minutes, I'll end up ordering in a pottery wheel or something. So like pottery's uh, got talent or something. <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's show, they're really talented. Yeah, I've watched both of those. One of them is called The Great Sewing Machine. You have. And Joe Lysick was the host, and he was really funny. Um, it was really good. And then the other one is called The Great Pottery Throwdown. And there's an amazing judge on there, and I can't remember his name, but he is uh, into, he's a ceramics expert, and he just cries over pots all the time. So if they make a really good vase uh, or something, he just cries. It's amazing. Oh, we should get him on. Yes, we should get him on the pod. <laughs> but you know, in terms of like, we're kind of double mentioning guest pods, but we actually did cover this on our pod with Peter Andre, where we were talking about what's his face, the guy who does the. Um, the national PE thing. God, what's his name? Joe Wicks. Joe, Joe Wicks. And um, one of us said about, um, you know, the use of projects as a distraction during times like this. And I think that's what all of this is about. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. So if um, I've been Caroline wants to get on the sewing bee, good for her. Yeah, I've been practicing my putting. I bought myself a, a really top end putting mat. which sure is no. Yes. I, I followed your lead after you said this. Oh, I think I might yeah. have got one too, have you? It's, yeah, arrived yesterday. So it's probably the least favourite of all the Amazon deliveries we've had that my wife has seen. But yeah, she came home and in the living room is a nice little bit, green bit of carpet. Uh, it's, oh, it's, it's good though, isn't it? Keeps yeah, me going. Darren, shall we get one? Yeah, just join in, boys. Just join, join the club. Join the club. Yeah, you'll be really good at putting when you go to hit a golf ball on a 500 yard hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, you drive right, I come with my putter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really. I thought as well, um, of a, we need to get a guest on. Did you hear today that the BBC are doing a new series of The Split? Did you oh, watch yes. that one? I not? did hear that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Good they're, series. They're gonna do a new series. So what do you think we just reach out to someone from The Split and see if they wanna come on? The pod that'd be that'd really be good, fun. That'd be cool. I mean, I might need to watch it first, but yeah, that'd be good. Uh, you've got to watch it, Dan. It's a good, it's a good like series. It. It's a good little mini series. I'd love to have. I think her name's Nicola Walker. She the main lady. She's really good actress. She's in is loads she of in things Spook? that are incredible. Yeah, yeah, the lady from Spooks. Yeah, she is good. Yeah, yeah. she'd be cool. I think it's her. My it is. Sure it is. I'm sure it is. Yeah. yeah, if it is the same lady, which I'm sure it is, she was brilliant in Spooks. And it's Stephen Mangan, I think, is the sort yeah the the barrister, yeah. the barrister's mentor, isn't he? I don't know any of them though. <laughs> Where do we start this? Let me just hope if anyone listening knows them, then uh... that's a minor detail, Darren. A minor, minor. detail. Yeah. <laughs> You're not seeing the bigger picture, Darren. We're international stars now. We, we, we've got a bigger reach. With enough stalking, I can work out where they live and then we'll definitely. <laughs> right, boys, that was a really good uh, episode, I think. I hope that people took a lot out of that. And um, to, to anyone who's listened to this for the first time, have a look at our extensive back catalogue of episodes at your leisure, which can be found on Apple Music uh, and on Spotify and via our Podbean page. And you can find us on Twitter at WPPod. And as ever, I will say to you, my besties, stay safe and let's catch up soon, eh? Take care, guys. Cheers, boys. Cheers, guys. See you soon.